We'd like to thank Cassiopeia Books for sponsoring Voices and Views. They are located at 606 Central Avenue in downtown Great Falls. Besides being a place to find your favorite books, they also host events with authors, book clubs, and local groups weekly. For special orders or more information, you can reach them at 315-1515. Welcome to Voices and Views on Great Falls Public Radio, KGPR 89.9 FM. Today on the show, I have the honor and privilege of interviewing Superintendent of Great Falls Public Schools, Tom Moore, and Executive Director for Student Achievement, Eastern Region, Heather Hoyer. Tom and Heather, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Thomas. So I want to hit first the lead Tell me about the event we have coming up on school safety and student well-being on Thursday, April 13th at Great Falls High School Davidson Auditorium. So, uh, yeah, thank you, Thomas, and thanks for having us on Voices and Views. I appreciate being here today. So um, the school district this year has um, been um, endeavoring to engage our community a little differently. Uh, We had a Citizens Academy last year to kind of open up the doors and let folks come in and see what goes on behind the mirrors or doors or whatever of the public school system. And and we did that. But this year we're doing a series of forums to engage the community in some dialogue about things that really matter in our schools. Um, We did one back in February at the... um, University of Providence, and it was on student um, mental health. We had a a great turnout there. We had a panel of folks who deal with uh, the well-being and the mental health of our students in our community and in our school district, and it was well attended. So this next event, and and this month, during the month of uh, February and March, we've been dealing with uh, budget issues, and we've had uh, community town hall forums on legislative issues. We had our local uh, elected representatives in the community during the uh, legislative break um, recently, and we engaged them in talking about uh, legal issues and state statutes germane to schools. And, uh, and then we had um, an open forum this last week on um, our, our budget and took input from the community on uh, financial issues. So during the month of April, um, during the No More Violence Week, um, the Dandelion Foundation and other community partners uh, over the years have uh, worked during this week to bring to light issues that are of concern primarily to, um, to our community around um, issues dealing with violence and, and mental health issues and uh, the well-being of all citizens. But uh, we're focusing on students and kids. And in this particular forum, uh, during No More Violence Week on April 13th at 6 o'clock p.m. from 6 to 7.30 in the Great Falls High Auditorium will be focused on school safety and youth well-being. And the youth well-being part of this is uh, dealing with some of the um, behaviors that students are engaged in, that kids are engaged in, that put them in a, a situation where they're not safe they're uh, at risk. So um, if they're engaged in social media platforms that um, open them up to predatory behavior um, that's dangerous or 
uh, they're in a, a social setting on online that uh, subjects them to bullying, cyberbullying. Uh, they're not safe. They're not. They're not well. Uh, well off. Um, if they're engaged in drug use, the fentanyl situation that we heard about this week in the community, um, at a, in a forum. Um, there's just a lot of dangerous behaviors that kids are engaged in that put them in harm's way. They're not safe. So we're going to talk about those things in a panel forum again. We'll have experts there and uh, we'll dialogue and then we'll uh, engage the community in some question and answer and, and talk about what more we can be doing to ensure uh, the safety of our kids in this community, in our schools and, and around the community. Absolutely, Tom. And, and I love that, you know, but before the interview, we were talking about this is solutions focused and it's about accountability, right? That there is absolutely nothing to be gained by just kind of throwing out blame. It's a it's a it's a cop out, really. Right. That it, it takes responsibility off of your shoulders and, and what folks can do. Right. Them as individuals. Yeah. Um, one of the focal areas of our school district for the last decade or more, uh, when we look at our annual planning and how we uh, focus on um, allocation of resources and leadership decisions as a district. Uh, one of them is student achievement. That's what we're there for, is to help kids to learn, right? That's the number one function of our schools, but they have to be able to do, do that in a, a safe, secure, and nurturing environment. So that's the second focal area, is ensuring that our schools are safe, secure, and nurturing. And then um, the third one is stewardship and accountability. You mentioned the word accountability, so we are accountable to uh, the community and to parents and to one another to ensuring um, that, our, that our schools are safe and secure and nurturing. And in this era and in this time period, there's so much unrest going on. Um, you know, I was just watching the news last night and it's just a, it, it, a volatile, um, unstable environment at times. And we're trying to trying to deal with that and ensure that our schools are a sanctuary and a haven um, where kids can come and learn and interact with their peers in a, a safe, secure, and nurturing environment. And that's really hard in, in this, this era, especially. A absolutely. And I want to take on a lot of these topics around, you know, uh, social media and bullying and such. But before we do, part of what I've done, and this is with this show is getting at this broader trend I see in society that I think is fundamentally rooted in a lack of humility. I think we have a lot of folks that spout off, right? They don't have the full picture uh, and they're just kind of doing this, you know, gotcha stuff, right? They say one thing you said and, and they paint you as this, right? So I call it a culture of contempt that I've seen emerging. And I think it's incumbent on, on folks that, that want to see a richer uh, public dialogue uh, a, a stronger community to put out a different message and a lot of what I want to get out there is the folks like you and Heather that are doing this work day in and day out are full people right you're not just a superintendent right you guys have a long history of service and so that if people may disagree with the decision you make right that they're not trying to demonize, right? I think that that's something that's important. And so part of what I like to do is just get some foundational experiences from each of you uh, that led you to, to become real stewards of, of our community and our youth. So Heather, I wanna start with you. Can you just mm -hmm. give our listeners a little bit about your background and your career path? Oh, you bet. So I was 
born and raised in Montana. My dad is an educator, um, retired, um, so he is an educator, I guess, that um, is in recovery, so to speak, um, but he's still fully involved in education and a deep belief in public education. My grandmother was a school cook um, on my mom's side, so I grew up embedded in education in Montana, um, went all the way through elementary, very small school, high school, class B school, and then was educated at um, Montana University Western down in Dillon and then got my graduate degree from University of Montana. Um, married uh, more of a local boy. He was from Belt. He's also an educator. And we started our education careers down in Ely, Nevada, working in the Men's Maximum Security Prison down there. So he, um, Keith spent three years working in maximum security and running their um, business and literacy programs for the school um, that was in the prison, um, also did college classes for him, and I did science and substance abuse and job readiness classes, um, both for the high school, which was um, White Pine County School District, and also for the college down there. Came home to Montana when we started a family, and Keith got a, the business education job out in Belt, so he took over for his former teacher, and then I was going to substitute teach in Great Falls. Um, and they had a teacher step away at the last minute. And on convocation, I was hired to teach science at, at the time, Paris Middle School. So then just that started my journey here. A middle school teacher. Then I did biology and chemistry at Great Falls High. Um, went into administration, spent a year as an intern at East Middle School. Came back as an associate principal at Great Falls High principal and then this position. So. Wow. No, what a fascinating, you talk about, you know, your, your insights into school safety, right? Having worked in just so many different environments and including a maximum security prison, right? Is, is well-grounded. And I think, I hope our listeners take away that these, this is someone who has devoted their entire life to serving youth in our community. And what I'd really like to know is where did you get these values that of service? You know, how is this inculcated into you? Um, I think it started at home. I don't think. I know it started at home, um, both with my parents and my grandparents who live next door to us. Um, a deep, very deep belief in educating, but also giving back to your community. Um, my faith family was important to me and is important to me. Um, and then I was highly active in 4-H growing up. So between my community groups I was involved in, my faith family and my own family, that's where those came from and were cemented. But um, also strongly encouraged as I grew up to believe what I wanted to believe and become what I wanted to become and, and 100% supported by those who I loved and, and helped raise me. Absolutely. And I, I see this thread running throughout the guests I have. I ask this question a lot. And it, it is one of those things where there's this great quote, you know, where like if, if you believe you can or, or you believe you can't, you're right. And, and I think something that I see more and more in our culture is uh, a discussion of all the things that are, are wrong, right? And I always say nothing could be more toxic to the human soul than to tell you that based on the experiences you've had or your upbringing that you're limited, right? People will self-limit, whereas they will also rise uh, if you set high ambitious goals. Um, and I think that's something that's understated, right? Is how much the water, so to speak, that we swim in has changed, right? Is that it used to be a very aspirational culture, and I think it has a, we've developed somewhat of a culture of limitation. So I love that you focus on, you know, people around me said I can do whatever I want to do, and then look at, you know, when you believe that, 
you can achieve the great things that you have. And so, Tom, uh, I, I know I, you were actually my first interviewee on, uh, you know, more than two years ago now. But uh, I, I'd love to hear, you know, the little bit about your upbringing again for our listeners and and foundational experiences you had that developed your values. Yeah, thanks, um, Thomas. And I I don't recall all of the detail of our first um interview here so I don't want to repeat too much of that but just you know the values thing what's important to me what I value uh, where does that come from and and I, I share some of uh, the same things that Heather talked about in terms of my upbringing um, you know my family uh, very important to me um, not not always super stable I had um, you know some some adversity in my childhood and my teenage years and so forth um, family breakup and Mom remarried and those kinds of things, and and uh, went through a period of my life that was not great, and had to struggle through that. But I had family members and a support system in place that, uh, you know, went through it with me, persevered and so forth, and supported me. Uh, my mother remarried an an excellent man who, uh, you know, I kind of we clashed a little bit um, over the years, but. Uh, to this day, that individual had a huge impact on instilling some really important values on what it means to be a man, what it means to be a husband, a father, uh, a community member, um, you know, some pretty deep spiritual beliefs and so forth that, um, that really helped me ground, ground myself and uh, helped me get through college. I was the first uh, member of my family to get a college degree. And um, I wanted to be a wildlife biologist, I wanted to be a scientist and be out in the field, right? You know, and chase grizzly bears around and stab them with a dart or something. But that didn't come to fruition for me. Um, I moved out west in the uh, 1980s and uh, ended up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and worked for the state for a year or so. And, and then got my teaching degree as kind of an afterthought. Um, I had done an internship at an environmental learning center in Wisconsin. Uh, we had a lot of kids coming in and out of there, and I found that I really was drawn to to kids and sharing um, what I understood and knew about the natural world with them and watching the little light bulbs come on. And then I, I got drawn to working with tough kids, uh, kids that were fighting some of the same things I fought when I was a kid, and uh, and helping them, guiding them to overcome some of that stuff or to deal with it, persevere. Um, you know, the values that are important to me, the spiritual stuff that, that guides me daily still, uh, helping kids understand that there's a bigger picture here at play and that while you're facing adversity right now, um, there's hope and there's a better future for you, but you've got to be engaged in, in making that happen too. So that, that enlightenment and those values um, have kind of come to fruition for me as I've gotten into school leadership and and worked in some title schools, uh, some tough schools uh, in Spokane and, and now here in Great Falls and working with an incredible leadership team. So when I, when I hire teachers now, when I hire administrators, um, I look at their skill sets. Can they teach? Can they do a lesson plan? Can they, do they know their content? All of that stuff. But what I'm more concerned about is who are they? Who are they as a person and what are their values? And, what uh, are they going to do when adversity hits and there is no textbook or no game plan here? How are they going to behave and react? And, and, and so those are skill sets that, you know, you just, you really can't teach in a classroom, right? 
um, and, and they have to be learned in the field, um, on the ground, experientially. I'm a deep believer in experiential learning. And, 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 and so, you know, those are the, the, there's values that I hold that, you know, are, that have matured over time, and I'm still honing them. I'm 60, uh, four years old this year, and I've been at public education now for 42 years, and and I, I still learn. I learned last week some really valuable lessons about leadership, uh, just being in a in an adverse situation. And Heather was sitting right there with mm-hmm. me watching it, and uh, it, we just continue to grow and learn. And and that's what this business of education is all about: is the development of human beings. And we're going to talk about school safety and you know, uh, youth well-being, but, um, you know, this is really important work to us who are devoted to public education, or education, just being educators, right? 100%. And so I, I, something that I love in in both of your responses is the, the focus on values and the practical application of those values. I think there's a tendency that people think they're soft and mushy, right? That if you talk about, oh, we're going to be doing you know, uh, coursework on instilling things like, you know, responsibility or character you, education, character education yeah. that that's a watchword for, oh, wow, they're, they're, you know, just wasting time or something. And I think nothing could be further from the truth, right? That at the end of the day, you know, like you said, you can have folks that have all the, you know, credentials that are able to do the basic you know, tasks of being a teacher, but if they don't have that pool of, of value, values to, to draw on in tough mm-hmm. times, they're going to leave. And I, and I think that's the, the crucial one where I see values are intricately connected to practical outcomes. Like, I, I don't know if there's a way to measure any of these things of your incoming teachers, but I think you guys over time probably find, right, the people that display, right, through the process and through their background, grit, determination, adaptability. Those are your folks that become your 30, 40 year educators, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Nailed it. You bet. And, and so I just can't emphasize enough that we as a society, too often we, we focus on what we can measure easily, quantitatively. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it leads us to focus on the wrong things, is that at the end of the day, if you want high achievement, right, if you want to have these quantitative measures showing increases, there's a whole, you know, sort of the, the iceberg analogy I think fits here. You, what you don't see in those test scores that gets you those scores. And so I, I think as administrators and as all of us in the community, we have to get out the word that, look, like we can't just put a test out there, do some prep and get these scores. We have to focus on these foundational issues because if not, you'll never see your test scores. And to the extent that you do, right, it's just going to be a superficial, I can do these basic things, right? But they lack the life skills to thrive over time. Again, you nailed it. And, and so I now want to jump in and I want our listeners to have an overview of getting just where Great Falls Public Schools sits. So ones that I think everyone is intrigued by is just how many students do we have, right? Uh, how many teachers and administrators? So we are um, a very diverse by Montana standards school district. We have... 
a little over 10,000 students. We have three high school programs, two comprehensive high schools and one alternative high school at Paris Gibson. We have two large middle schools and then we have 15 elementaries and a pre-K. And we serve a wide variety of um, students that come from all walks of life and all backgrounds and experiences. Um, total number of teachers, I don't exactly have that off the top of my head, but we do have a principal at each of our um, elementary schools. We have one associate principal assigned to our elementary schools and then our middle schools have two administrators and one intern in our high schools have three associate principals and one principal to deal with those 10,000 plus kids. So we have 750 teachers. We just, we hired last year 100 new teachers, by the way. That's huge. That's significant. Anyway, uh, 750 teachers and about 1,500 1,600 roughly, um, somewhere in between there, full and part-time employees. So we're the third largest employer in Great Falls. The Air Force Base, Benefits, Healthcare Systems, and then Great Falls Public Schools. And I do think it, it behooves people to understand. So you think of what that ratio is, staff to kids, right? Mm -hmm. You have a lot of kids with, with not a lot of adults. I mean, I think we all have a tendency to just kind of, you know, oh, well, you know, they've got teachers and they look at the classroom size or whatnot. But if you actually think about, okay, we're expected as the Great Falls Public Schools, not just to educate kids, and I want to really hone in on this, but to provide for basic needs, to be a social services provider, right? I, I, I was talking to Heather offline, you know, the many cases teachers are expected to be the social worker. I think folks need to understand in many cases that teacher is the stability in their life. And so when you think about that, right, think about a family that has, you know, what would that be? Uh, it's like eight kids or something, right? That's a hard thing to manage if you're one person, right? And that's what the school district is dealing with, right? And they only get them for this little bit of time, right? Speaking of, you know, you have part of the day, right? And then only part of the year. And so how important and kind of comprehensive it is. Uh, I was saying when you when you look at the numbers, right, on like per capita spending, mm -hmm. I think people need to throw out the, the playbook from 30 years ago because fundamentally what our, our public schools are tasked with doing has shifted. And, and you can't expect to get the results you've been getting with the same amount of money and a, a fundamentally different uh, milieu that you're operating in. So there was a community forum up at the college before the holidays. Um, Superintendent Arnson um, hosted it here in Great Falls and we attended that and um, you know there's a lot of uh, controversy over what schools should and shouldn't be doing right now and I, I brought to that forum um, a, a diagram of what schools have been expected to do over the decades going back to the 1920s or 30s and and to today the 20 you know 2020 this century and it, and it's like uh it's like a you ever seen the map of the state of idaho where you know it's real skinny up on top and then right down in the bottom in south, south idaho it's very wide that graphic looks like that when you look at the decades of what's been expected in our public school system it started out very narrowly focused reading writing and arithmetic right or arithmetic with the three r's right uh yeah back in the day but over time um, public schools have been expected to do more and more and more and more and more. And again, 
I've been at it for 42 years, and and, and, and I'm not placing any blame on anybody, um, but the accountability that schools are held to, public schools are held to, and the woes that are going on right now in our society, and, and people look at schools and blame schools for it, uh, that's hard to, to stand in the face of and not get defensive, you know, because we have some extremely bright and dedicated professional educators who love kids dearly and they've given their lives work to, to working with children and they're they are tired they are worn out they are defeated and we're losing them because of this constant onslaught of you're not doing good enough you're not doing good enough look at your student achievement scores look at your dropout rates look at your graduation rates look look at these things well look behind the curtain and take a look at what these people are being asked to do on a daily basis that they weren't 20 years ago when they started their careers or 30 years ago or 40 years ago um, or 50 years ago. It's, it's just evolved to a, a point where there needs to be some reform in public education, no doubt, no doubt. Um, but a lot of the reform, in my opinion, needs to take place at a societal level. And, and those things that schools have been asked to do need to go back to uh, organizations in the community. My opinion, this is my opinion, um, faith-based organizations, um, nonprofits, community organizations that stand in the gap, private citizens, and we have a number of them in this community. This community is so generous, and we have so many community partners here. I'm, I'm blessed and thankful that I live in Great Falls, Montana, where when we have a need, we have people that step up. Yep. And, and we're seeing things evolve. You, um, I know part of the other work that you do uh, with um, Alliance for Youth and United Way and our Interfaith Council and, uh, and Boys and Girls Club. Heather works with the YWCA. There are so many community organizations here that are willing to step up and step in the gap. Um, but it is, it is a, a causal factor in some of the things we're going to talk about regarding school safety, the, the overwhelmingness of what goes on in schools uh, these days. 100%. And I think that that's where you have the schools are molding citizens, right? They're molding educated citizens that have values, right? That's yes, that's part of their role. But by the same token, they are a reflection of our society. And I think that there's a tendency to say, well, that's your business. Do that. And I'll just go about, you know, my life. And fundamentally, you know, you hear it takes a village, right? It's so how much things change, how much they stay the same, right? That this is 30 years ago. But these old truths and these cliches are there for a reason. And ones that I want to give our listeners that are kind of points is, are you guys having a, a problem retaining teachers? You know, what is, are we seeing of the uh, first year teacher, what's the likelihood that they're there in, in year three and year five? So your, the answer to that would be yes. Um, so the light, I don't know statistically the likelihood of what it would be if they're beyond their fifth year. We do know that across the nation, if teachers are going to leave the teaching profession, many of them leave before year five. That's just a common understanding across education. Um, I think what we're starting to see more and more of, and, and maybe it's because I'm in a different seat now with the school district, but we have teachers who can't even 
physically or emotionally finish the year. And so they're giving us a two weeks notice, like, you know, where a service industry you would normally do, um, where they just say, I'm done. I'm done teaching math. Two weeks, I'll see you. Find someone else. Where it used to be that we would wait until the end of the year and we would be able to get them through and then also give that teacher some support because they do need support during that time. I'm seeing more and more of that, and maybe it was always there, and I wasn't just aware of it as a principal or as an associate principal. Um, but what we're seeing more than that is we have a population of professionals that is aging, and there are a lot of us that came in when I started um, in education, and we're getting to the point where retirement is a true and honest option for us, not necessarily having to move into another profession um, to continue to support ourselves. We don't have anyone who's coming in to backfill us. Um, Becky Nelson does a fantastic job with the school district and, and helps us really in our recruitment and retention of teachers with a lot of activities she does. And she was just at one of the universities, the big universities in Montana. They have 46 Education graduates, 46. University of Montana this year, only only 46. We, we could hire them and fill half of our spots and we're just Great Falls. And that's to help with the entire state. And so it is not uncommon for us to have to look out and reach out, especially in specialized teaching positions, um, such as trades and industries, um, high school counselors, elementary counselors. We not only talk to our state partners in our Office of Public Instruction, but we're reaching out to North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming. I talked with Michigan about a shop teacher when I was looking for a shop teacher. We're really having to cast a wide net to find individuals who want to do the job of education. And, and like I said, the kids have to be there, right? Like, you know, you can't say, hey, we're struggling to fill positions. So, uh, you know, Johnny and Susie, you guys are going to start next year. What, what my question is, is so what... What happens when you can't fill these positions or someone takes two weeks and says, I'm out of here? Do you combine classes? What's the... So we have several things we have to do. The very first thing is to sit down and take a deep breath and <clears throat> compose ourselves. And then we work very closely with the building level principal in human resources. We have some amazing substitute teachers and guest teachers in our community, some of whom have teaching degrees and don't want a full-time position or are retired teachers and have been out of the profession long enough that they can come in and fill in for us. So we find um, a guest teacher to come in and fill until we can get that job filled permanently. Sometimes we're very lucky with that, sometimes we're not. We've had positions like a Spanish position open for a year and a half at one of our middle schools without a single applicant. And so it, it, that, it used to be if you, if you got into Great Falls, your first time you were a gifted young teacher because the line to sign up for Great Falls Public Schools at job fairs was out the door of the gym or of the field house. Um, if we have one or two quality applicants, we're excited. I think that's just something that all community members need to know is that, you know, to the extent that you're taking shots at, at the schools, just re remember that you're not uh, dealing with some, you know, behemoth that, it just has all the resources in the world. They can't find people. You guys can't find folks that are willing to do the work. And I, I think that's a really important measure of people are doing this because they love it. Yeah. And and by the same token, we're humans, right? And you can get into this kind of vicious cycle where you're not able to get good people. 
And, you know, a lot of your best folks, right, like you said, are retiring. And because you don't have good people, right, things aren't great every day. And then you can't get good people. And I think that's something that we really need to say enough, right? Like we're going to put in resources and this, Tom gets at what you said, is in our community, right, Mm -hmm. that are going to take some of the burden off of our schools. And and that's a good way for me to dovetail into uh, something that's near and dear to my heart, which is kids that are coming to you guys that are hungry, that are tired, that there's violence in their home. And can you just give our listeners an understanding of, you know, how things have changed? I think that's important longitudinally. But the things that you're seeing kids come in with in, in pre-K and second grade that are uh, affecting the ability to, to maintain a positive environment. Well, um, the first year I was superintendent of the school district four years ago, in the fall, uh, we had a conference over in Billings. It's an annual conference that our school trustees across the state attend and the superintendents attend with them. Um, And it was hosted in Billings and the superintendent over there, uh, Greg Upham, hosted a dinner for us. Our board chairs and the superintendents from the AA school districts, we all met. And uh, the number one issue that we were talking about around that table that night was violence in our schools being perpetrated by elementary children who were not stable emotionally, psychologically, were off the rails, and were hurting teachers. And one of the superintendents gave a testimonial about, this was in October, that during the month of September, a kindergartner had kicked an elementary teacher under the chin, throwing a tantrum in a classroom. She was trying to clear the, clear the classroom and calm the kid down, and he kicked her in her chin and put her in the hospital. Took her out of commission. She couldn't teach. And this was an elementary child in kindergarten. And um, the, the, the other children in that classroom, the parents of those children in that classroom, the teachers, the aides, the principal, are all affected by that kind of activity. And we've seen an escalation. Um, I was an elementary principal in Spokane back in uh, the mid-90s. And I I recall distinctly having the emotionally disturbed um, students of our school district housed in our school. We had the ED program, we called it at the time, for the kids in elementary schools that needed to be in a special classroom to focus on helping them deal with those behaviors. And then, um, but I remember that was ni- 1990s, clearing classrooms with third graders, picking up chairs, throwing them through one kid, threw a chair across the room, hit two or three kids, picked the chair up and threw it through the window of the, of the door. And um, it's escalated. I've seen more and more and more elementary kids coming to us with some really deep behavioral and psychological issues. And that's disturbing to me. Um, And we've had to hire therapists and intervention specialists and dedicate a ton of resources to reacting and managing, let alone the prevention. So the people who are into this that really understand early childhood development and they're telling me that from zero to third grade are critical years in terms of developing in addressing those behavioral patterns. So if kids are coming into our schools at five and six and seven years of age that have these 
you know, deeply rooted problems already, and we're having to, to deal with that. That's, that's problematic. And you can imagine as they progress through the system and they get to be adolescents, middle school age kids, where these problems are, are becoming even more and more manifest. And then you throw drugs and alcohol and those kinds of factors in that just exacerbate the problem. Um, you, you know, this is a huge issue, a huge issue in our society today. And I do want to get, so you, you try to, I think you hear a lot, certainly on the federal level, right, is one of the solutions is you offer more early childhood uh, interventions and, and have, you know, stronger daycare. And I think we all know there's a huge dearth of daycare, right? Like folks can't get spots. And so what are you seeing about you know, very young. I'm talking, so before they ever come to Great Falls Public Schools, is there any action at the state level locally to try to say, hey, the schools, we're going to, you know, support you in, in going younger? Well, there's a, there's a bill before the legislature right now that's a targeted intervention bill that's still moving through, I think, the Senate right now. Um, and, it, and it deals with... Um, um, children ages four through third grade, and it's to help um, improve the uh, reading proficiency of third graders. And it's one of the first bills that I've seen that acknowledge, re in recent years, acknowledge the fact that we need to start with four-year-olds, and we need to allocate some re state resources to fund public education to deal with kids uh, who are targeted for not being able to read by a third grade. We know that in, in their three, four, and five-year-olds, we've got Head Start, well, we've got an early learning program up at the Early Learning Family Center up at Skyline that's a community-based project that's a, um, you know, we, we get some federal money to do that for intervention with kids who have disabilities that are identified early and so forth, and, and we've brought in other students under some special provisions within the statute. And uh, that particular statute and that funding is at risk right now. Um, but our previous superintendent, Tammy Lacey, um, in one of her advocacy years when she was working with the legislature, was very passionate about trying to rally support statewide with all of our community partners in education to get the legislature to fully fund an early childhood education program. And um, right up to the final hour of the legislature, she was providing testimony and working with Governor Bullock at the time and others to get it done and uh, it didn't happen and we're one of only a few states in in the United States that don't have um, a, f a state funded early childhood program and if I can take just a little bit more airtime on this one um, when I first came to Great Falls and United Way asked me to serve on their board Gary Owen um, and Mark Wilmarth um, asked me to serve and we sat down to look at community impact. We were focusing on what can we do in this community with our community partners and United Way funding to impact this community in positive ways. And we identified education, income, and health to be those three focal areas. They asked me, point blank, um, what can we do in education substantially to change the outcomes for kids in terms of third grade reading scores, um, proficiency in math by eighth grade and uh, attendance across the, the school spectrum and then graduation rates. What can we do? 
And my answer to them, without hesitation, was invest in early childhood learning. Because if kids aren't grounded and have a good foundation in those formative years, preschool, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, the statistics and the data and research says if they're not reading by the end of third grade with comprehension, and if they're not squared away in their social skills, how they interact with other human beings by third grade, their trajectory or their future is not good. And, and, and so if, if the community really wants to invest in something, it would be in those formative years from zero to third grade. And intuitively, I always say that makes sense, right? That if you keep putting new levels on top of an unsteady foundation, right? It's just not going to, they'll just keep collapsing, right? Is, is it, it, Absolutely. What's your house built on? So, and, so and, and, and you got to pay attention to that. And I, we, we, we spend millions of dollars in this country on intervention and reaction to adverse circumstances instead of the foundational prevention. Like, how, how do we develop skills, assets, and, and so forth in young children that will set them on a trajectory where we don't have to intervene and we don't have to react to an adverse situation, and they don't. So that, that's the fundamental principle that's at play here, in my opinion, and um, I think it's shared by a lot of folks, but we can't seem to get the wheels going on funding that adequately. We're spending so much money on intervention um, with, with young people, um, and we should be allocating at least that amount of money for prevention and early childhood education, in my, my opinion. It, that is, uh, if, we, if we can leave our listeners with one message, I think it is that preventive early childhood, that's the way to get the foundation so we don't have these interventions. I talk about this a lot in the substance abuse context, that we spend all of our money on these reactive acute interventions, and and yet they don't do anything long-term for you, right? You go to the ER, you come out, you go to the ER, you come out, you go to the ER, and that I think this is where that measurement that we were talking about before, Heather, becomes hard is it's tough when you, you're getting your results or things don't happen, right? That it, so much of these things are the way our, our, our kind of funding streams work is they're connected to you provided this intervention. Whereas if you have prevention, it's much more amorphous, right? Because things didn't happen because you did this. And, and I think that's just something we need to get across to community members and legislators that you are paying after the house has already burned down why don't you invest in fireproofing the house? It's a broad analogy, but I think generally speaking, it, it, it has some truth to it. And, and Heather, I want to pivot to you, and I want to really get now into the heart of, so we have an overstressed school district, right? Teachers, administrators, everyone. Um, we have kids coming in that are unprepared, right? Social, emotionally, um, they already come in with a lot of trauma in, in many cases. What is going on now in our broader society? And specifically, let's start with the bully cyber uh, kind of social media issues. Yeah, so um, social media and cyber bullying and the dangers that are innately attached to social media and Internet um, is something that 
I think it's fairly new for the majority of teachers in our district, new in the fact that we didn't have to grow up and navigate that. We didn't have to learn how to navigate that whole new social aspect of social media. Um, and it's something that is, is really difficult at times for schools to address because most students, not all, but most students when they're on and interacting in social media, it's happening during times that they're not necessarily in school. And so, but the school deals with the fallout of it because they're still acting in ways sometimes that are way more mature than the students are able to handle emotionally. So the next day, I, we were sharing earlier that the longest part of the week for me as a building level principal was Monday morning after all the social media happened over the weekend and then usually after lunch when kids had the lunch time that they could go and really hop on their phones and get more into social media than they are during other times. Um, and teaching students who are not, don't quite have that, you know, that frontal lobe developed yet, how to deal with some very complex issues that we as adults struggle to deal with, but they can't get away from it. Every time they turn around, you, you want to watch a student really struggle, take their phone away from them, but leave it on and li listen, watch them as their phone buzzes and goes off and dings. And you'll see a student who can't focus on education. They can't focus on anything but their physical and emotional reaction to that phone. And we've, you know, showed it here, uh, the social dilemma. And this is specifically about Facebook and the algorithms and how uh, sophisticated they are at, you know, getting your attention. And I always say, if you're not paying for something, you are the product. Right. And with Facebook and all these social media ones, I think it's very important to understand that their root goal is for you to buy products from their advertisers. So what what they're really their business model is you. It's your eyeballs. It's meant to make money. It's not something that's about you and your friends. Uh, and that changes what they put in your feed. And they, they want things in many cases. Right. I think fear is the strongest motivator, right? If people are scared, right, they, they focus on it, right? And that's a very human primal instinct. And so what do we see in social media? We see toxicity. It, it gets people on there, right? Uh, the other one I wanted to talk about, you were just thinking about mature. I see TikTok, right? And these are nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds. Uh, I, I, I don't think any of us have been able to grapple with this as a society. What, what do we do, right? We can't really... Uh, control it. And I think it, it says the value base, but can you talk about the the types of things, the way kids are sexualized today at an early age is, is unbelievable to me. Yeah. And, and I, a lot of it, I think, goes back to what as parents we can um, supervise or monitor. So when I was growing up, my dad always had a very clear handle on what I could watch, what I couldn't watch on TV, what magazines I had access to while I was within my home. Um, all of those different things but as a parent it would be a full-time job to just sit there and watch your child's social media so they have it's easier to access some of those inappropriate things and what we're seeing is students at a younger younger age because they want that like they want that that reaction that heart i i don't do a lot on social media and it's probably showing but um they want all of that because it, it's that feedback and, and that that I'm valued. But what 
they don't understand because they don't have the maturity is that like is not coming because you're a good person necessarily um, or because you have this value that makes your family or your church or your community a better place. It's becoming because of the physical affect that you have. Um, and when we see kids that are 8, 9, 10 wanting to have that social like, um, the social media like because of how they look, it's distorting their image of who they are. And during a time when we're really trying to build the person and then, you know, build the person first and then the physical later, it's it's hard. Oh, it's, it, re it's reverse that. And you think of eating disorders, right? Mm -hmm. the, there's so many psychological issues that come out of this and driving uh, the levels of, of depression and thoughts of suicide and are are astronomical i i mean i read them they're the almost unbelievable the what percentage of and this is great fall students right are considering suicide no go to 14 to 20, go, just do a, a google search on suicide statistics nationwide for the age group of 14 through 24 it will blow you away the number of young people during that age category that commit suicide daily and annually. People are worried about gun violence in schools. Do you know since Columbine, we've had 336 roughly school shootings, or you know, uh, school shooting events, and 225 deaths during that time period. So we're gonna go back to the, the 1990s, and we're gonna go to 220, 2020, and we're concerned about somebody coming into school and shooting kids, which we should be, and we are, and we're addressing that. But what's scarier to me are the number of kids that are taking their own lives every single day. It blows these statistics about gun violence out of the water. It, so I, I'm gonna say something, and your listeners are gonna probably react to this adversely, but I'm telling you, that the number one concern that I have as a dad, as a grandfather, as a community member, as a educator and a citizen is social media and what telephones, handheld devices are doing to human beings, but our kids in particular. And the newest iteration of artificial intelligence that's about to hit the market is even scarier. And if parents, and I'm guilty of this, I, I'm really guilty of this with my own kids, and I'm trying to get my kids to, to do this with, their, with my grandchildren, is know what your kids are doing with their social media. It's the number one responsibility we have as parents and community members and educators and grandparents. Is it is a scary place. There are people in our world and in our society that want to capture the attention of our kids, and not for good stuff but for manipulative and, and evil things. And, and our kids are subject to that stuff. And, and it's scary. And you talk about the level of anxiety of our children. Heather alluded to this. If you watch a kid, they cannot keep their hands off their phone. They, they can't keep it in their pocket. They can't set it down on the desk and not look at it. They put it by their bedside and it's on all night long. And the minute it dings with a notification or an alert or a feed, they, 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 they're awake, so 24-7. You wanna know why we have such a high anxiety rate among young people? It's because this thing, 
that we hold in our hands is feeding them stuff, international stuff, worldwide news and crisis and, and, and hurricanes and volcanoes and earthquakes and um, you know uh, wars and all of the unrest that's going on across the globe. And then the interaction that's going on between individuals constantly barraging our children. All of us, all of us are, are subject to it, but our kids in particular. And, and so when we talk about this in this forum, we're going to address some of the concerns around uh, the management of the online and cyber environment that our kids are, are engaged in. You know, Sheriff Slaughter did this a few years ago when he was um, with, this, with the GFPD uh, during No More Violence Week. He and his middle school son did a wonderful uh, evening um, presentation to community folks. The place was packed up at the college. And there were a lot of grandparents and parents and older folks there who had no idea what some of these apps were on the phones that their kids were engaged in. And Sheriff Slaughter and his son show, did a show and tell of, of what looks like a seemingly harmless app on a kid's phone, but when you click on it, there's a, there's a back door to this thing, or it's a front door that opens up into a really dark world where there are, where there are predators um, prowling around trying to engage your kid in some dialogue, uh, texting and so forth. And, and it's just scary stuff, you know, it, it, it is. And so, um, I, again, I'm not blaming, but I'm, I'm talking about the accountability that we have as educators and parents and community members to protect our children from this stuff and, and manage it. it. It can be used for really good stuff. You know, we can communicate ubiquitously, ubiquitously, you know, uh, with this device and with the, the internet and the media that we have. It's, it can be used for really good and purposeful, intentional um, things that, 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 that help us. But on the other hand, there's some really adverse uh, outcomes that we're seeing with our kids um, in terms of the unmanaged and undisciplined use of, of uh, cyber technology and the internet and our personal devices. So. <laughs> Sorry about the rant there, but I'm just, it's, it's a problem in terms of school safety and youth wellness. So. And, and I think one of the things, too, when we're talking about students misusing their own social media, bullying, cyberbullying, um, students don't necessarily, or kids don't necessarily, even adults, it was different when I was growing up um, that when you said something to someone that was intentionally hurtful, you had to see the reaction on their face. Um, and, and you knew in your core what that was doing to someone. When you can post something about someone, true or not true, mean or not mean, you're not always there to see that reaction and how your words have an impact on a person. It's easier to hide behind a screen and to be a bully. And there's not that, fil there's not that personal responsibility filter with social media that we've had with other types of bullying. 100% is that it totally divorces you from actually looking in someone's eyes, seeing the effect you've had. And I think it's really kind of affected our entire world that, and in a way that I don't think, like Tom, to your point, we, we look at shootings, right, yeah. in the schools because they grab so much attention, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't see that for every death in a school shooting, right, there's, you know, 10 suicides and there's, Drug overdoses, very similar, right? 
that there's 100,000 drug overdoses in the United States last year, right? And, I mean, look at the, the numbers there, right? Since Columbine, you have a total of 232 deaths, right? Two, 225. But Two, yeah, okay. 225. Mm-hmm. And that's over a period of decades. Mm-hmm. How much, how many resources, energy, you know, kind of media attention has that received versus these other uh, you know, far more prevalent issues. And I think that that's because it's where what sells starts to become a replacement for what is the actual problem. And I don't think any of us as a society and I, citizens, kids have a, a, an answer on what norms are we going to establish, particularly around social media. One thing that I can just say from my personal experience is to see how things have changed. I was a fifth grade teacher in Memphis, Tennessee. This is an ancient past. This is 2006, 2008, right? Uh, I had one or two kids that would bring a phone. You know, phones were not allowed, period, right? And now I, I would guess, you know, what percentage would you say if your fifth graders have a smartphone, not a little flip phone like these kids had? It's probably in the reverse of what you had. I'd say one or two kids per class probably don't have it or have access to it. Um, what we know, the statistics that, that Great Falls Public Schools gathered along with Benefis is our students who are presenting to Benefis with suicidal ideations, and, and in some cases homicidal ideations, sixth grade is our really our target. Um, it's not high school where you would think most of that happened sixth grade they're not even out of elementary yet and so our the impact of our kids and and the mental health of our students um the age that it's showing is becoming younger and younger and younger it's a trend we have to reverse and so i i want to leave on a a positive note we're coming to the end of the time and i hope we can continue this conversation because there's a lot more to cover um but uh, so, Tom, you know, do each of you guys just have some kind of last thoughts? Uh, and of course, make sure to come out, all of our listeners, uh, to the community forum on school safety and youth well-being at Great Falls High in the Davidson Auditorium uh, on April thirteenth, from six to seven thirty. But just last thoughts on what what we can do as a community to to move the dial on these issues. So for me, so much of this on any of these issues and in anything in education is it's really the understanding that it's a community lift. Um, I've been doing, uh, building a report on graduation rates and working with um, Superintendent Moore on, on this community forum, and it's a community lift. If it is left up to one entity, no matter the entity, um, to carry the burden or fix the problem or address the problem even, um, it's not going to stick and it's not going to happen. So we need to get our community involved um, from the parents and the grandparents to the schools, to the nonprofits, to the faith families, um, if we're going to have sustainable change for our kids in Great Falls. They're the most important asset that we have. I would echo that. And I would just say that in, in the world today, there's a lot of forces at play that are trying to faction us and uh, put us in oppositional you know, polarities or whatever. Um, the one thing that I think is unifying for us is our children. We care and love deeply our children. And we want, and we have always wanted, a better future for them than the one that we currently have or have experienced. And so I'd, I'd like to just submit that there's a lot of hope. You know, we talked about our teachers a little bit ago, but we hired 101 teachers last year. There are still people 
who want to go into this profession and educate our children in public schools. We hired 101 of those human beings. And so there's hope. They care about kids. They want to endeavor in this. And our job is to support them, encourage them, and not um, ignore the causal factors for them bailing out early or leaving the profession before their time. And so we need to encourage them. We need to support them and help them. And then moving from blame to accountability. Instead of blaming each other or being so verbose about our opinions and in, in our righteousness that we're right and you're wrong. It's like listen to one another. And I'm working really hard on that myself as an individual and as a citizen and as a leader to listen deeply to what's going on, understand what people are saying. But let's, let's get together and have a dialogue about what we're going to do about the current state of our society in Great Falls for the future of our kids, for our children, for the sake of our children. What is it that we want for them for their future? How can we provide emotional, psychological security for them as they're growing up, uh, whether it's at home, at the parks, in the restaurants, at the ball games or whatever in our community, uh, in our churches? How can we provide that stability for them? And then definitely as they're going to school, coming home from school and while they're in school. It's a partnership and it's a collaboration and it's not an us and them. It's, it's we have to do this for the sake of our kids and our future or, or we're, we're going down a, a really rough road. We painted kind of a, a bleak picture here about the current reality. But one of the things about leadership is mm -hmm. that we have to deal with the facts of our current reality, but we also have to remain hopeful optimistic and purposefully and intentionally doing things to paint a different picture for our future. And that's what we're about. That's what we're about in our school district. Uh, that's what we're about in this community. And, and I'm, I, I love living and working here. And, and so does Heather and our, our entire team is committed to doing this work. And um, we just, we're inviting the community to come together with us on this night, talk about these things that are of concern, and then talk about, more importantly, what can we do as a result of this dialogue to, to paint a different picture and um, action items? What can we do differently moving forward? 100%. Be the change you want to see in the world. Uh, I, I could not think of a better call to action to our community. Um, you know, our, our youth are our future. And, and we need to invest in them, all of us. Uh, so I, I cannot thank you both, uh, Tom, Heather, for coming on the show and for all you do to, uh, to raise up our, our, our children and, and youth in Great Falls. Well, thanks, Thomas. Thanks for having us. Thanks for what you do in the community as well. Thank you. That was Great Falls Public Schools Superintendent Tom Moore and Executive Director for Student Achievement Eastern Region Heather Hoyer. And you've been listening to Voices and Views on Great Falls Public Radio, KGPR 89.9.
Thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about KGPR, please visit our website, kgpr.org, where you can find a link to donate, links to all of our other locally produced programming, and information about your local voice, KGPR Great Falls.